Keystone, it is so good to be able to get to gather with you together this morning, sing together, celebrate together Christ and his victory. Uh, We've been doing this series over the past couple weeks uh, called From the Garden to the Cross, where we look at something that first appears in the Garden of Eden, some image or something that's happening. And we look at what it means there, and then we trace it through, and we, we find the exact same image appearing at the cross in some way. And so then we look at that and, and what Jesus has done, and then ultimately look at what it means for our life both now but also into the future. Uh, and so we started a couple weeks ago uh, with the image of clothing and what that means and what, what that significance is related to what Christ has done for us. And then last week, Pastor Joel talked about the image of walking with God. And this morning, we're going to look at the image of trees, the image of trees. Uh, And so I thought with the kids in here this morning, uh, that that we would start off just doing something a a little bit interactive, a little bit fun, uh, that I'm going to call tree trivia, tree trivia. So if you're a kid, uh, you can do this, but honestly, uh, if you're an adult, I want you to join in as well. I'm going to give you seven questions that are related to trees in some way. It might be in relation to the Bible or just in general. And with each question, there's going to be three possible answers, A, B, or C. Uh, And so if you have a piece of paper, you can take that piece of paper out, uh, or you can keep track in your mind. We're just going based on the honesty system here as far as how many you get. Uh, And I'll give you the question, the the answers, and you'll have like 10 seconds to choose one, and then I'll tell you what it is. Uh, If you get, I was debating like where I should put this at. I really have no idea how hard this is. Uh, I'm going to say if you get five or more, uh, I've got this Easter basket up here that's full of candy. You can come up at the end of the service and get candy uh, because I'm sure you won't have candy throughout the rest of today. So uh, you can have some to start out this morning. Here we go. If you're ready, we're going to go pretty quick. Here's the first one. What type of trees produce acorn? What type of trees produce acorns? Don't yell it out. Uh, we've got A, oak, B, elm, C, poplar. poplar. Write down your answer. The correct answer is oak trees. Oak trees. There you go. There you go. Uh, if you're feeling good about yourself, uh, trivia always starts out easy and gets harder. I'm just warning you. What is the tallest tree in the world? What is the tallest tree in the world? Is it A, spruce, B, sequoia, or C, eucalyptus? A, B, or C? Got your answer? Uh, that would be B, sequoia. Sequoia is the correct answer. Yep. Number three, what do you call a tree that doesn't lose its leaves in the fall? Is it a deciduous tree, an annual tree, or an evergreen tree? A, B, or C? The correct answer is C, evergreen. Evergreen. All right. Uh, Here's where they maybe get a little bit harder. What is the Pennsylvania state tree? What is the Pennsylvania state tree? Is it eastern hemlock? a sugar maple, or a white oak? Eastern hemlock, sugar maple, or white oak? A, B, or C, what do you got? It is A, eastern hemlock. All right. Here's where they get difficult. At least I think so. Because essentially you're just guessing. How old is the oldest tree in the world? Aptly named uh, Methuselah. This is the oldest tree in the world. Is it A, 1,093 years old, B, 4,853 years old, C, 9,223 years old. Take your guess, write it down. The correct answer would be B. B. All right. I debated whether anyone would get seven out of seven. Maybe someone will. 
Uh, how many times does the word tree appear in the Bible? Yeah, again, it gets harder. You just guess. A, 353, B, 273, uh, C, 303. You can maybe get out your Bible and try to count really fast, right? <laughs> Uh, it is C, 303, 303, 303. <laughs> last question, last question. What is the first All right, did anyone actually get seven out of seven? Man, okay, I should have made it harder. That's good. I debated getting like one big prize if someone got seven out of seven, but I would have had enough. So you can just get candy at the end of the service. Uh, we, we might stop and ask, what is, what is so significant about trees? Like you, you pass tons of trees on your way in this morning. You likely have some around your house, in your backyard. Maybe. What's so significant about trees? We think about the fact that they provide us with something, right? Provide other living things with something. That, that maybe they provide fruit for you to eat. Or, or maybe uh, just shade from the sun when it's hot outside. Or, or maybe if you like to build things, they provide wood and resources to be able to build from. Or, or that ultimately they provide oxygen for us to breathe and have life. When we come to trees, we think about them being a source of life in some way. And, and so it shouldn't be a surprise that when we come to the Bible, trees are associated with life, or they tell a story of life, that, that they tell a story of the life we were created for, a life of complete joy and satisfaction in God alone. They tell a story of how we lost that life and instead sought life outside of God and found death. And they tell a story of a savior who came to give his life so that we might find life both now and forever. That, that's the big idea driving this morning as we look at these different ways trees show up in the Bible is that Jesus gave up his life so that we can find life in him both now, today, right now, and forever into the future. And so we're going to start by looking at Genesis chapter 2. Uh, if you want to open up there, we'll be jumping around to different passages this morning, but we'll start out there. But let me pray for us before we jump in this morning. Father, we celebrate this morning what you've done for us to rescue us and to glorify yourself in living for us, dying for us, being raised for us, ascending to heaven and promising that one day you're going to return again to live with us forever. God, I pray that as we fix our eyes again on Easter, like we do year after year after year, you would capture our hearts and minds, that you would stir up our affections to again love, trust, and rejoice in Jesus Christ this morning. I pray this in his name. Amen. We can find in the garden this truth, and it's a really sad truth, but it's one we have to understand if we're going to get to the hope and joy of Easter. It's this, that we traded life for death. We traded life for death. In the Garden of Eden, as we'll see, there's lots of trees, but there's two particular trees that God puts there 
the, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that we especially see in the Garden of Eden. We find this in Genesis 2, 8 through 9, where it says, And the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. These are two real physical trees in the garden that Adam and Eve could eat from. But there are also two trees that are put there that are meant to teach them something, and I would say teach all humans something as well. And so we might ask, well, what, what were these trees meant to teach Adam and Eve and us? And, and the first thing is this, that life, where we were made to find life in God. We were made to find life in God. And, and when I say life there, I don't just mean like physical life where we're breathing and we're just kind of getting by. I mean like the life you long for. Like whatever image you have of the good life, a life of joy, peace, satisfaction, where every single desire you have is fulfilled, satisfied in God. That's the life you were created for. That's the life we, we had in the garden or Adam and Eve had in the garden. See, the the tree of life is teaching this message to Adam and Eve and all humans. God's saying, if you look to me, if you put me at the center of your life, if you love me, if you trust me, if you obey me, you'll find and enjoy the life you were created for. But but then there's this other tree in the garden as well, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We, We can see it show up again in Genesis 2, 16 through 17, where it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. We might ask, well, why? Why does God tell humans not to eat of this tree? Why does he tell them that don't eat of this? You can eat of any other fruit, just don't eat of this tree. Well, God, God's teaching a lesson where he's telling us to look for life outside of God will only bring death. To look for life outside of him will only bring death. He's saying, if you love me and trust me and obey me, love me, trust me, obey me about this tree, don't eat from it. Not because it necessarily makes sense to you, but, but because love me, trust me, and obey me. And if you do, you'll continue to enjoy life in me. But if you look for life outside of me, you'll, you'll only find death. You'll only find death. Right? And sadly, we, we come to Genesis 3, and we know what Adam and Eve did. That, that they thought, God is actually withholding life. They bought into the lie of the serpent. God's withholding something good from us. We need life outside of him. And so they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and death enters into the world. That that they made the worst trade in the history of the world. They traded life for death. Life for death. There have been a lot of bad trades throughout the history of our world. Often we associate bad trades in some ways probably with sports. What, what, what do you think is known as the worst trade in the history of sports? Anyone want to take a guess? Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth was traded in 1919 from the Red, Boston Red Sox to the New York Yankees. Babe Ruth would become the greatest baseball player in the history of the game. Do you know what he was traded for? For $100,000. Now, that, that's a lot of money, and especially back then, that's even more. But to trade the best player for $100,000 was a terrible trade. And in fact, many people say then this curse came upon the Red Sox because of this trade, right? 
That doesn't compare with the trade Adam and Eve made. To have life, like life, joy, peace, satisfaction, and trade it for death. And we might look at them and say, what, how foolish, how stupid, how, why would they do that? But we have to recognize that's the same trade we make over and over and over again in our own lives as well. Nancy Guthrie puts it really well when she says, we make the same kinds of trades. We trade trusting in God to give us the life that will truly satisfy for grabbing for the life we think will make us happy, only to have the forbidden fruit turn sour in our stomachs. The reason you and I do not have the life we've longed for is not only that Adam and Eve ate of this tree, it's that we put ourselves in the place of God, determining for ourselves what is good and what is evil. That's what sin is, and we find the consequence for sin is death. And so what's interesting then is trees in the Bible are no longer just associated with the life we were meant for. They're now associated with the death that we deserve because of sin. In fact, if you look in Deuteronomy 21, there's this passage about trees that that points us forward to the cross ultimately, but it says this, if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day for a hanged man is cursed by God. See, trees no longer just associated with this is a life we're made for. They're now associated with this is the death we deserve, the curse, the punishment. Just, just, just think with me for a moment about how hopeless our situation is as a result of sin. We, we are living in a world broken by sin, full of pain. We are separated from the only one who can satisfy us, God. And we're just biding our days until one day we die and then face eternal separation from him and judgment for our sin. Like, that, that's pretty bleak and hopeless. It is. And, and we have to feel the hopelessness of that if we want to feel the goodness of Easter. We have to feel how hopeless life is apart from Christ if we want to feel the goodness of what Jesus accomplished at the cross and beyond the cross for us. Because the good news is the story of trees doesn't end with our terrible trade. It goes on to speak of the trade that Jesus made for us and the life he offers. At the cross, we find Jesus traded his death for our life. Jesus enters this world and he loves, trusts, and obeys God perfectly every single step of the way. And he resists temptation every single step of the way. Where every single other human being failed, Jesus succeeds. Where every other human gave in to temptation, he never does once. And so we find he's the only person who truly deserves life. And yet what we find happening should surprise us and shock us. Because at the end of Jesus' life, he ends up at a tree. But it's not the tree of life. It's a tree of death. In fact, his obedience is what led him there. Philippians 2.8 says that he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And and what's interesting as well is the New Testament authors are are often trying to refer to the cross as a tree. I don't know if you've seen this before, but it shows up multiple times. In Acts 5.30, it says, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Why do they refer to the cross as a tree? Why do they keep pointing to the cross as a tree? Not just because it's made of wood, but because they're, they're trying to get us to see that's the tree we deserved. That's the tree we should have been going to. That's the tree that was ours by virtue of sin. See, the, the cross says, first of all, your sin and my sin is so bad that we needed Jesus to die for us. This is the offense of Easter and the cross that says, I'm so bad, my sin is so bad that the only thing that could save me is God dying in my place. Like, like the message of Christianity is not uh, just try harder to be a better person. It's not five steps to being the, the best version of you. It's not here's some moral teaching that, that you can follow to have a good life ultimately. It is here's a God who was willing to come and take your place to die for you so that you might have life. And in order for us to have life, we have to accept the death of Jesus. We have to see him and say, that's where I deserve to be. That tree is where I deserve to hang. And instead, he came in my place. And when we do, we, we find the second thing, that the cross says you are so loved that Jesus was willing to die for you so that you could have life. The, the cross says you are so loved that Jesus was willing to die for you so that you could have life. Je Jesus isn't drugged to the cross. He isn't forced to the cross. He goes to the cross willingly every step of the way that he sees us suffering under sin and knows the only way for us to have life and be made right with God is for him to come in, take death himself so that we might regain life. I think we, we all love stories of someone who's willing to risk their life or lay down their life for the sake of someone else having life. You, you, you can probably think of a movie that you enjoy where that was the main theme of the movie. Or you can think of a story that you've heard where you, maybe where that came across. I, I came across one of these stories in the past month. Uh, it, it's a story that I read on ESPN. Uh, I don't know what it is about E60 stories that get me, but there's just something where, like, they connect. Uh, and so this is the story of Kendall Cummings. I have a picture of him up here. And his friend Brady. Uh, they were uh, out in the Wyoming wilderness, and they were searching for uh, antlers that were shed from elk or mule deer or moose uh, because these antlers are, are valuable if you can find them and sell them. And so they're out and they're walking and, and they're about 30 yards apart from each other. And all of a sudden, Kendall hears his friend Brady yell this dreaded word, bear. And Kendall looks over and sees a grizzly bear throwing his friend down the hill and then running after and pouncing on top of him. And Kendall's in that moment got a decision. He's like, I, the, the bear doesn't see me. I can get out of here. In fact, maybe I can get out and I can call for help and maybe they'll come. But then quickly realizes, hey, if I run away, uh, my, my friend's going to die likely. And so instead, he makes the decision to run at the grizzly bear. Just picture that. Run at it. Jump on its back is what he does and starts pulling at its hair to get it off his friend. And so the grizzly bear eventually gets off his friend and Kendall starts to run. Well, unfortunately, the bear turns on Kendall and chases him down and starts to attack him as well to, to the point of, of inches of him dying until the bear eventually walks away. Like there's, there's something about a story like that that just resonates in us, right? Someone who's willing to be like, I see someone else dying and I'll step in and I'll take it 
so that they can live. Why, why do those stories resonate with us so deeply? In part, because those stories are a reflection of the gospel and they're a reflection of what God has done for us. And not just that God came for us because we were his friends, but God came for his enemies, knowing that there is no other way we would have life than for him to step in and take on the death we deserve. R- Romans 5, 8, I often think puts it so well when, God, when it says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus trades his death for your life, for my life. He trades his death so that we might live and displays God's love for us in the process. But thank goodness the story doesn't end with his death, but rather ends with him rising again to life. And it's in that that we find we can have life now in the present through faith in Christ. Life can be found right now in Jesus. In the book of John, maybe you just want to read through the book of John sometime and take notice of this. Jesus is associated with life over and over and over and over and over again. From, from the first verses in John 1, 4, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. To some of the last verses, John's conclusion, where he says, But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And everywhere in between, Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life. He says he comes to bring living water. He says he's offering abundant life. He says, I am the resurrection of life. And in the famous words of John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is essentially saying, I am a living, breathing, walking tree of life. If you want life, a life of joy, peace, satisfaction, hope, it's me, he's saying. It's me. It's found in me. And that's really good news because it tells us life is found in a person, Life is found in a person, in Jesus. I I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded of this on a regular basis because here's what I find happening in my own life. I wake up and day by day by day, I'm tempted to search for life in things other than Christ, right? I I teach or I I can approach each day almost as if it's like a Easter egg hunt, right? Kids, you're gonna have an Easter egg hunt later today, likely, I guess. And, and, And you know, in an Easter egg hunt, there's these little eggs that are hidden somewhere in the yard. And you go around and, and you open one up and you see what's inside. And then what, you go to the next one, you open it up, you see what's inside. Next one, you open it up, you see what's inside. And you keep going, you keep going. So often I find I'm tempted to approach life in that way. Thinking that joy and satisfaction and peace is found in something in this world. Maybe it's found, found in, in relationships. And so I open that up and no, it's not there. Okay. Well, maybe it's found in a career. So I open that up. No, it's not there. Maybe it's found in, in the next vacation I'm dreaming up. No, it's not there. And over and over again, I think life is found somewhere in this world. If I just keep looking for it, I'll find it. And, and how do, think about this, how, how do all Easter egg hunts end? At least they, they ended this way when I was a kid. There's still one egg out there, right? Dad or grandpa hides the eggs and they can't remember where they're all at. And so there's still one egg out there. And so the kids might think, all right, there's still another egg. Maybe someday we'll find it. And I can have the exact same approach to a life of peace and joy and satisfaction. Maybe it's just still out there. And someday I'll find it. But, but the message of Jesus and Easter is life can be found in the present right now. 
because it's found in him. It's so easy, maybe you find this is true for yourself as well, but it's so easy for me to say, I'll really enjoy life when blank. How would you fill in that blank? I'll really enjoy life. Life will be better. Life will be good when blank. Maybe, maybe as a, a kid you think, when school ends and I've got summer break. Or, or as a teenager you think, when I get my license or, or a phone. Or, or as a 20-year-old, you think, well, when I can move out of my parents' house and have my own place. Or as a 25 to 30-year-old, you think, what, when, when I get married. Or then maybe it's when I have kids. Or then maybe it's when my kids are a little bit older and not so needy. Or then maybe it's when I've got, when, when, when teenagers, or they, I don't have teenagers anymore. Or then maybe it's when, when I'm an empty nester. Or, or then maybe it's when I'm retired. Or like there's always just that other, maybe it's right around the corner for me. Maybe it's right there. And and the message of Christ and the gospel is, no, it's right now. In whatever circumstances you find yourself in, life is found in knowing Christ, loving Christ, and trusting Christ because he is life. But, But I think even as we say that, we still recognize, but life in this world is not perfect. To say that life is found in Christ is not to say that life is perfect. It's to say that we can have joy in Christ even right now in the midst of a broken world, as we look to him and walk with him and trust him, and we can look ahead to the perfect life he has promised for us. See, see the future of the story of the trees is this. We are looking forward to the perfect life. Whatever image you have in your mind of this is what the good life would be, the Bible presents a picture of a better than good life in your future if your faith is in Christ. Revelation 22, one through three, gives you and me a sneak peek into the future, a first glimpse, an extended trailer of what life will be. And, And here's what these words say. It says, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. Worship him. Now, That image hits home when we recognize that's the life we had in the beginning and lost, and yet now this life is even better because there's multiple trees of life lining this river, and there's 12 kinds of fruit, and it's just this picture of abundance in life. That that is the future you are destined for if your faith is in Christ, a life of complete joy, peace, satisfaction, in God, a life where everything that's wrong is taken away, a life where all that is broken and hurts and is full of pain is is healed, a life of perfection in Christ. The, The problem is, I think, that often we can treat this life as if it's so far in the future. It's so far out there. It's so distant that it makes no real impact on our lives right now today. And and Easter for a moment tells us, no, 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 
that life is actually closer than you can imagine. Because Jesus was raised from the dead and is ascended and is returning. That life is closer than you can imagine. And Easter invites us to look at that life in that way. I, I heard this example recently that, that stuck with me. Uh, and, and the person who was using the example used uh, a telescope. Uh, but I don't know that many of us have used telescopes, but I guess a lot of you have used binoculars. And, and, and if you know with binoculars, if you look through them the right way, I've got to take my glasses off. They take something that's far away and make it close. But there's also a wrong way to look into binoculars, the wrong lens, right? Where if you look at them the opposite way, they take something that's close and make it feel distant. And you're saying often we look at the life we're promised in Christ in the future and we look at it through the wrong lens. And we end up making it seem like it's farther out there than it really is but that ultimately Easter invites us to look through the right lens and to see that life is nearer than we probably imagine. And that as we see it nearer, it actually might make an impact on us today. Because here's here's what I want you to think for a moment. I want you to picture yourself in that scene. I want you to picture yourself in that scene for a moment, standing at that tree of life, knowing that's your future in Christ standing there and and taking from its fruit and eating. And I think if we picture that's where I'm headed, that's the life Christ has promised me, that's what he's won for me because of his resurrection, we might even taste its fruit right now. That we might recognize all the pain we experience in this life will one day be turned to pleasure in Christ that all the, all the sorrow and disappointment you face day by day by day in this life will one day be turned to joy that will be that much greater because of the sorrow that we face. That, that all the ways that you miss out in this life, you'll get to there and you'll find out, I didn't miss out on anything because I have Christ. That all the ways that life seems to be going wrong, one day you'll find a life where everything only always goes right. And that life will be forever, forever, forever. And and this life is only but a vapor. See, Easter invites us to see that's your destiny in Christ, or that's what your destiny can be if you trust in Christ. That because he lived, died, and was raised for us, that's what he promises us. That because he climbed the tree of death, we will one day eat fully from the tree of life. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you as being our savior. We praise you as being our only hope in life and death. We praise you that you sacrificed yourself going to the tree we deserved so that we might then find life in you both now and forever. Help us to look to you for life in the midst of whatever circumstances we walk through in this life and help us to know the promise that we have life eternal in you a perfect life coming in our future. And I pray that that would shape how we view and approach everything that we walk through here and now. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name.